she said, Deacon from a land down under, where women glow and men plunder. Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? Yeah. You better run, you better take cover. Yeah. You better run, you better take cover. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cider Nation podcast, a unique baseball podcast. Today, we have Mets minor league right-handed pitcher, Josh Hedgeka. Thanks for coming on, Josh. I guess first things first, would you be able to kind of talk to us kind of your story about your arm slot and how that came about? Oh, uh, yeah, sure, Jeff. So um, in high school, I was I started out as an overhand pitcher. You know, obviously, that's what I, I had done my entire life. That's what most people grew up learning. Um, they kind of learn how to do the traditional pitching mechanics over the top, um, et cetera. You know, my freshman year of high school, I was, I, I was on the freshman team and, um, I was, I was a decent pitcher. You know, I didn't throw very hard or anything like that, but I had success. Um, and my sophomore year of high school, I actually made the varsity team, but not as a pitcher. I made it as a second baseman. Um, so, you know, that middle infield position, you know, you're kind of thrown from those lower slots. You kind of, you're, you're kind of all over the place. You're not necessarily just thrown from a traditional over the top slot. Um, and my junior year, uh, I was, I was kind of sick of not pitching. So I went up to my coach and I was like, you know, Hey coach tomorrow, like, how do I get back on the mound? Um, cause at that time there were three pitchers ahead of me in our high school rotation who, um, all went to either division one or division two schools. So very talented pitchers. And I just wasn't getting any innings, um, simply because there was, I, I wasn't good enough and there were people ahead of me, um, kind of blocking my path. Uh, so he suggested it. He said, you know, why don't you try playing around with it? You kind of have the body type for it. Um, dropping down your slot, throwing from a more, you know, sidearm or submarine style and seeing if you find any success with that. So I worked with that all fall, all, all winter. And then going into my junior year of high school, um, that's how I started the season as a, uh, as a submarine pitcher. Um, and we actually ended up having, um, unfortunately, a few injuries um, to some of the pitchers ahead of me in the staff. Um, I ended up getting a lot of innings and uh, ended up pitching a lot that season. Um, and um, following from that, getting recruited to Johns Hopkins and um, playing in college because of it. Um, so I, I, I honestly don't think I would have played college baseball without um, transitioning my slot like that. And I know a lot of guys have have different stories for when they drop down. A lot of guys go to college and play and then eventually yeah. drop down. Then some guys some guys go to pro ball and then um, eventually drop down. You know, but for me, I I think it's it was beneficial that I was able to do it so early in the process in my high school career. Um, Cause at this point in my life, I've had shoot eight, 10 years of, of experience throwing from this body position to this arm slot um, under my belt. And it's, it's been cool, you know, taking advantage of, you know, resources like sidearm nation um, along the way that have helped me, you know, gradually improve. Um, and I think I've been to two of the sidearm nation camps now. I think I went to the one in, uh, Frederick, Maryland, and then the one in um, uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And uh, yeah, both, you know, both of those, I consider huge steps um, that have helped me, you know, progress in my, my development as a sidearm pitcher. And um, it's just been cool that I've been able to have so much experience doing it. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's definitely an advantage having done it for so long. No, and definitely, obviously, something I'm more aware of with Sidearm Nation, but I, I do think more colleges are are recruiting high school kids that have already dropped down instead of having to drop down a guy that's struggling. But everyone, sure. yeah, got their own unique star. I was I was in Pro Bowl. I was going to get released, so everyone's different there. And I mean, part of it too, it's kind of good that you were kind of aware where you were at, and that was hopefully going to be your ticket to college ball, and ended up going further than that. So, <laughs> yeah, and I think. I think especially with the way baseball is going now in, in such a analytical direction, you know, it's not analytics doesn't, it's not ne just necessarily about, you know, having a high spin rate, having high velocity, et cetera. The, at the end of the day, it's about being an outlier, right? It's yeah. like, um, you know, obviously there's outliers in velocity, the people who throw hundred miles an hour, there's outliers in spin rate who get tons of vertical break, but we're outliers too, in the sense of we have a release point that hitters don't see a lot. We have, crazy amounts of horizontal break on our pitches that hitters don't see a lot. Um, so I think we are, we, we have an advantage in that we're kind of outliers by default. Um, 
so if we if we can you know figure some stuff out how to how to command the ball you know get a little velo um and not even not even a lot of velo um if you look at the the pitchers in the MLB who who throw from this slot you know Aaron O'Day is sitting 85 86 you know yep. uh Tyler Rogers I think it's I think it's there's it's one of the Rogers I think it's Tyler uh yep. with the with, with the, the giants. giants you know he's even slower than that um because when you're when you're standing out so much in these other regards you know you don't necessarily need that velocity to to blow hitters away just with the movement of your the pitches the release point etc yeah and honestly that's probably one of the bigger questions i get all the time is how do i gain more velocity from you know from my arm slot or my new sidearm slot or Mm-hmm. And I always struggle with that because I felt like the harder I threw from there, the flatter my ball would get and the harder I got hit. Is that yeah, I think you've kind of that's dealt something with? Or? From my experience, um, so I have, I have gained velocity and I can kind of talk to some of the things I've done for that. Yeah. Um, but I think the key is not like, so what, what happens for me sometimes when I'm trying to throw too hard or overthrow, I actually end up raising my slot. And that's, that's when I, what leads to those flatter pitches. You know, I kind of cut the ball because I'm, I'm kind of popping up, popping, yep. popping up and out. And my hand's kind of on the side of the ball. Yep. So I'm cutting it. I'm not getting as much movement then. Um, so I think if you're able to develop velocity within the slot that you're comfortable and within, so within that slot and you're able to keep, keep the shape of uh, the pitches that you're throwing, I think obviously value, uh, velocity can, can only help you at that point. Um, but if you're, if you're getting velocity by, you know, really changing your mechanics, popping up your arm slot. Cause I mean, the higher you raise your arm slot, like I said, the less of an outlier you become, um, the less horizontal movement you're getting, the less vertical movement you're getting, um, in, in terms of sync, um, the closer you are to normal with that, the harder you have to throw to, to be successful. So you kind of want to, you want to make sure you keep those aspects of your delivery and your game, um, and not necessarily sacrifice that for an extra mile or two velocity, which may not help you as much. Um, Okay, sorry. Yeah, I, I I think I interrupted you. No, I was just gonna say, and, and hitters will kind of help out with that, right? Or kind of dictate, you know, if they're comfortable facing you, right? For sure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it even even catchers sometimes, you know, yeah. The if you kind of want the catcher to like catching you in terms of you're always hitting your spots or you're always, <laughs> um, you know, you're always like around the places where you're trying to throw it. Um, but you also want them to kind of be you know, catching in the, the heel of their glove sometimes, you know, not able to necessarily um, get their glove there because the ball's moving so much. You know, I think, I think sometimes you can see those reactions from catchers where they're like, Oh wow, I didn't expect the ball to you know, dive like a bowling ball right there, but it just, just sunk and I couldn't get it. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of a good feeling. Um, but, and then I just wanted to touch on real quick, you know, some things that I think helped me with, with velocity without necessarily getting me out of my, my slot or my delivery, because that is a question I get a lot too, just from people, you know, messaging me, messaging me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, so I would say one of the big things was, was long toss. Um, and I know everybody's different with whether they long toss or not in the first place. Um, and especially with sidearm pitchers, I think, um, from a lot that I've talked to, there's a lot of variation, whether they long toss from their sidearm slot or from an overhand slot. Um, so for me personally, I'm actually one of the people who long tosses from an overhand slot. Um, and then I get into my, my sidearm sidearm slot when I'm on the mound, um, or when I'm coming in from, from long toss. And I think part, part of the reason I'm able to do that is because, like I said, I've had so much experience that I don't necessarily need to, um, have, I don't necessarily need to get more work in with, with my sidearm slot to be comfortable with that slot because I'm already so comfortable there. Gotcha. Um, so especially with, you know, overhand long toss, you're getting backspin on the ball instead of the, you know, the side, the side spin, the sink. Um, so you're able to get it a little further. Um, and personally for me, I think just long toss in general really opens up my arm in a way that, um, you know, maxing out at 90 feet or so doesn't, doesn't do for me. Um, I'm able to really open up my joints, open up my muscles a little bit more. And then on the way in, obviously I can, you know, do some pull downs, do some, there's some more traditional like throws on a line and um, get more of a feel for that release point in that regard. Um, but for me, if I don't long toss for long periods of time, I, I kind of lose some feel, not just with velocity, but I just lose feel um, just in general, just which, in general. which yeah. right. Yeah. 
Um, so I'd say that for me, that's, that's probably the biggest thing I've done um, is just throw more. So throwing five, six days a week, even if it's not off a mountain, five, six days a week, um, you know, just kind of the Jager, Ellen Jager style, feeding the arm, um, you know, building up a workload on that arm that allows me to feel better and be stronger um, when I'm actually pitching. Yeah, and I guess I I was kind of the opposite. I long tossed from the lower arm slot, but I also kind of dropped down mid season in pro ball. So I just wanted to throw mm-hmm. as much as I could from that slot, and right. obviously still wanted to make sure I was using my lower half, and I wasn't going to be going back as far as some of these other guys. But I just wanted to kind of throw as much as I could from that new arm slot. Totally, and that's but, what I was saying. Where I think I kind of had the advantage of doing it yeah. for so long that I don't necessarily need that. Um, but actually this off season, I actually did. So I did, I, like I said, all through college, I basically did all my long tossing overhand. Um, this off season, I actually started doing about half of my long toss overhand and then half of my long toss from my sidearm slot. Okay. Um, and the reason I wanted to do this was, uh, I think some of the same, same ideas of why overhand long toss is beneficial kind of carries over to that sidearm slot. Um, where you're basically getting a feel for being more efficient with your mechanics. You know, if you're, if you're throwing the ball, you know, 180, 210, 240, 270, et cetera, the further you go, the more perfect you have to be with your mechanics to get the ball where you want it to be. Yes. Like you can't, you, there's no room for inefficiencies or else the ball is going to fly off to the left, fly off to the right, sink into the ground. Um, it's Using pretty funny sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's, that was, that was the reason I started doing it because I was, I was, getting inefficient with my arm. And, you know, if you're, if I'm doing that from 90 feet, I can't really tell the difference, but if I'm doing that from 240 feet, I have to have a really efficient and smooth arm to be able to get the ball to my, my throwing partner. Um, it's pretty funny. Cause you know, when you're that far away, you can't really aim the ball at his chest. You got to aim the ball way up at, I'm a righty. So way <laughs> up into his left, cause the ball is going to sink and dive right down to him. Um, but it looks pretty funny. The first few times you do it, the guy expects it to go way over his head and then just sinks right down to him. Um, it's, it's pretty funny doing that, but that's, that's what you got to do to get it out there. But I found that to be very beneficial for me. And I guess, Josh, uh, what pitches are you throwing? I guess even like velo wise, kind of where are you at right now? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I throw fastball slider on my main two. Yeah. Um, my changeup is a work in progress and yep. Um, and I think, let me clarify. So my fastball, I mean, my fastball is a sinker. Um, and this is something I wanted to touch on also the difference between, you know, sinker and a four seam from our slot. Um, but I'll get, get into that in a second. Um, so my sinker, um, is, I think my average velocity, my first season in pro ball was around 84 or so topping out around 86. Um, this off season I've, I've gained a little bit. So I'm hoping that average below is around 85, 86 topping around 87, 88. Um, a little bit harder than that. Um, in terms of movement, my sinker tends to get around negative one, negative two vertical break. So uh, a couple inches of sink and then 19 to 20 of horizontal movement of, um, of tail. And then my slider is usually around 73, 74 miles an hour, I would say. And my goal with that is to kind of mirror the fastball as best I can. Um, so if my fastball, I'm throwing around a, a three o'clock spin axis, I'm sorry, a spin tilt. Um, I want that slider to be around nine o'clock and basically getting that horizontal movement, um, the same amount of horizontal movement and similar amount of vertical movement as well. So my, my ideal slider when I, when I throw it really well is about, you know, 14, 15 inches of glove side, um, horizontal movement. And then, you know, anywhere from it's, it's a little tricky to get on top of that pitch from the low slot. So yes. it actually sometimes tends to have a little bit of positive vertical movement. So I actually end up getting a little bit of rise on my, my slider. Uh, uh, but yeah, so those, th- with that, those two pitches, that's kind of what I'm going for. Uh, with my changeup, I want to, you know, kill a little bit of velocity from the fastball, obviously. Um, and then I want more sync as I want to generate as much sync on that changeup as I can. Um, it's really tricky getting enough pronation to do that. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the good changeups I've thrown are, you know, six, seven, eight inches of vertical, vertical break downwards, which is, you know, half a foot, uh, more than the fastball. And with the velocity difference that that's, that's pretty effective. Um, and then as I was, I was playing around with baseball savant and, you know, looking at some of these sidearm pitchers in the big leagues and like kind of what they do. 
Um, and something I've noticed is that, you know, guys like Darren O'Day, Adam Simber, they throw a, a sinker and then they throw a four seam. That's distinct from the sinker. Um, and if you look, the, the sinkers, they obviously keep low in the zone and they, they tend to get, you know, two, three inches of, of sink down. But their four seamers, they throw up in the zone and they actually get a lot of swings and misses on these pitches, Darren O'Day especially. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. They throw, them, they throw them up in the zone and, and it's just basically, it's like an over, it's, it's like if you imagine an overhand cutter where, you know, if you're throwing over the top, the ball is going to move arm side. But if you're throwing that same grip from a sidearm slot, that ball's kind of going to move upwards. So I think what they're trying to do with that pitch is, you know, get a little of that, that cut, but that they're doing it in a way that leads to more vertical break and kind of like rises above the bats of the hitters. So you see Darren O'Day, his, his sinker is I think two or three inches of sink. And then his, his four seam is like 10 inches of, of rise on a, on a, on a pitch from the, and it's released in the, is the exact same release point. Um, so it must be something with the way he releases it and maybe his wrist position at, at release. Um, it's something I'm still playing around with and trying to figure out, but it seems like it's a very effective pitch for a lot of different submarine guys in the big leagues. Yeah. And he, he, he definitely makes that 85, 86 play a little faster, I think. And that definitely has something to do with it. No doubt. He's, I think he had, I think what I saw was he had one of the highest swing and miss percentages on his forcing fastball <laughs> of any pitcher in the big leagues. And he throws, yeah, like you said, he throws 85, 86, which is just crazy. <laughs> And then Josh, would there be any mechanical tips that you'd have? Anything that's kind of helped you out? So this is a tricky question that I get a lot also. Um, and I think with, with sidearm pitchers, it's, it's tough also because it's so individualized. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no two sidearm submarine pitchers that throw the same. No. Um, you know, everybody has, you know, different bodies, different arms, different stuff like that. Um, so I... So that's where it's kind of tricky for me to give a, a definitive answer to this. Um, I would say that throw just throw a lot and kind of figure out what works for you, right? Like I, I like the idea of of long tossing um, from the sidearm slot that I've, I started doing this off season. You know that I, I really think that could help guys figure out where they're most efficient with their mechanics. Um, and like I said, with such a small, you know. Um, margin for error at, at longer distances, you're going to be able to see instantly the changes you're making and how much it, it changes, um, how you're releasing the ball. You know, I, like I said, I've had, I had some issues with my arm path and stuff and d long tossing from that slot. I was able to find a more efficient path and kind of see the ball, especially at those longer distances, you're, you're overemphasizing the movement of the ball. So you can see exactly the sink and the, the, um, tail that that pitch is getting. Um, but if you're throwing it wrong or bad, it's not going to get that movement or it's going to, you know, not even start out in the right place where you're, you know, you're releasing it way too early, you're releasing it way too late. You can kind of tinker with that and figure that out. Um, that's kind of a cop-out answer. I know or no, it's just no. like, Oh, figure it out for yourself, figure it out for yourself. I'm just going to say that kind of at the end of the day, just trying to be as, re you know, as repeatable as you can with kind of your own natural mechanics. Sure. And well, Honestly, this is something I've been thinking about as well. So the, the difference between kind of repeatability and athleticism. So if you look at a guy like Marcus Stroman, you know, he's not, his body position isn't repeatable. He, he's doing a bunch of different crazy stuff with his, 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 um, his, his leg lift, his, his, you know, this timing and stuff like that. But his release point is repeatable. So he's able to, he's able to basically get to the same release point despite having different body positions and stuff throughout the delivery. And I think that is kind of, I think that's a big, um, a big reason for that. It's just athleticism. So not necessarily general athleticism, like, you know, being able to like, like in basketball, football, et cetera, but like, just kind of like training your body to be more athletic, like training your arm to be more athletic. And I think since I was, if, since I was a, um, you know, middle infielder before I started pitching, I think I already had some of that athleticism built in where I was able to be comfortable from different arm slots and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about the best, the, the, the person on the field, who's the best thrower, like it's going to be the shortstop. The shortstop is, you know, making accurate throws to first base from different body positions, different arm slots, different stuff like that. Um, and I think especially for somebody who may not be super comfortable with, you know, a new arm slot, something like that having athleticism where, you know, you can actually get the ball where you want it to go, even if you're not necessarily in the same repeatable mechanics 
that you you want to have down the line, right? But if you're if you're athletic enough and you can make those adjustments, where like, yeah, my, I'm, I released the ball a couple inches higher, but I'm so athletic that I could still figure out how to get that ball in the zone. Um, I think that could help a lot for guys who who are struggling getting a consistent feel for their mechanics and release point, which I know happens a lot when guys drop down because it's it's so hard basically switching your mechanics from what you've been taught your whole life to something completely new. Um, so kind of just training that athleticism. And if you watch Marcus Stroman videos of him warming up online, he'll throw sidearm, like warming up. He'll throw, he'll do shortstop throwing drills, he'll do quarterback drills. He'll do various arm slots, various body positions. And I have no doubt in my mind that if Marcus Stroman wanted to throw sidearm, he could pick it up in a day and be able to throw strikes. Um, obviously he wouldn't be, you know, he, I don't think he'd be, be perfect. He wouldn't be polished, but I think, it's, it speaks to the idea that he's athletic with his body and his arm where he can kind of tinker and be successful regardless of whether he's getting to the exact same position every single time, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I believe like he was kind of dropping down a few years ago with the Jays and talking about doing it more. And then I think he got hurt, but it would, had nothing to do with changing his arm slot either. Right. But I think maybe that's where some people were saying it was because of that. But he's definitely a guy that I do think he'll eventually probably start doing it in a game <laughs> oh yeah i does everything especially else especially a guy like that yeah, yeah. He, he just he does all kinds of stuff he just and you know whatever messing with the timing of the hitters so i think you're right probably the next logical progression is messing with you know the release point and the where the hitters are looking basically and then josh would you have anything kind of mentally like for anyone maybe debating on dropping their arm slot or maybe someone that just recently dropped down their arm slot anything kind of from a mental standpoint yeah, so I'm I'm a big I'm a big mental game guy. I think it doesn't necessarily get the love or the attention it deserves from a lot of people in the industry. No. Um, just it's it's so important and it's such a massive part of the game. And you could have the best stuff in the world, you could throw as hard as you can, but if you're not able to, you know, mentally tune it in when it matters, you're not able to be competitive. I think um, it doesn't really matter. And um, I guess one thing I'll say is is kind of it's, I know it's a cliche and I'll, I'll elaborate on it a little bit, but kind of trusting the process and trusting what you're doing. Um, you know, I think my, my first two games as a sidearm pitcher in high school, you know, like I said, I worked on it all fall, all winter. I was getting a feel for it. My first two games, I think I walked a combined probably, probably more than 10 batters in like four or five innings. So I was just, you know, couldn't, couldn't throw a strike to save my life. When I was throwing a strike, you know, I was getting hit really hard. Um, and I remember I, after my second game in a row doing that, I talked to my dad in the car and my, my dad was, was like, so you think you're, you know, you think this is, that, that's it for the sidearm? You think you're going to go back to, to what you were doing, um, throwing overhand? And I'm like, I, I distinctly remember I, was, I told him, I was like, no, I'm like, I'm so close. Like, you know, it's, you know, it didn't look like it today, but, um, you know, so close. And people say that, you know, you trust the process, trust the process. And it's kind of hard to even know what that means. Like, yeah. Okay. Like trust the process. <laughs> Very um, true. I heard yeah. a pretty good, I heard a pretty good analogy and um, I forgot who this was from. It might've been from a book I read called Atomic Habits. I also think it might've, it might've been from Randy Sullivan at the the Florida baseball um, ranch. Not, well, it's the Florida baseball armory now. Okay. And um, so it's, it's basically the idea of somebody who's like pumping water from, from a well or from underground. And, you know, your first, 10, 20 pumps, like no water's coming out of the, the, the faucet, right? You just keep pumping, you keep pumping, you keep pumping and nothing's coming out. Um, and then eventually you're going to have a pump where water spills out. And it's like, after that, the water just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. Um, but there's nothing different about that last pump that than any other pump. You basically, you did the same thing that you were always doing. That last pump wouldn't have been successful if it wasn't for the 20, 30, 50, 100, 300 pumps before it. So basically, you you kind of need to build up those those reps. And eventually, when it clicks, it's going to click in a massive way. Everything's going to explode. You know, it's going to just make sense. Um, and I think I, I thought that was a very impactful analogy where, you know, it's like just because I'm doing something, I'm not seeing success right away or it's not you know, the, the thing I'm trying to change isn't changing, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that what I'm doing is wrong. Um, no, obviously that doesn't mean that everything everybody does is correct. Um, there's gotta be some sort of, you know, evaluation and, you know, 
you know, purpose behind what you're doing. Um, but if you have a system that you truly believe in, then I think like that analogy says, you know, basically trust the reps, trust the reps that will build upon each other and trust that they will eventually, you know, culminate in something great happening. No, and that's a very good point, Josh. I mean, I think a lot of guys drop down and maybe expect it to kind of be this automatic success, right? Just because they've maybe there's a reason, obviously, right? But it's it, it isn't going to happen overnight, and you do have to stick with it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad I did because, like, if you know, if if I if I had those couple bad outings in high school, and I was just like, you know, I was fine being a second baseman. I'll play. Second baseman. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have played professionally, and I probably wouldn't have played collegiately either. Um, and I probably would have not played a lot in high school. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was able to, you know, stick with it. And eventually, like I said, it clicked. And um, the first few outings were very bad. And then it all it all kind of came together. So um, I think there's definitely something to be said about that. Um, and actually, I do have one more thing. It's, it's kind of finding as many areas as you can to, to, to get better, right? It's, 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 you can't really just say like, Oh, I'm going to be excellent on the field. And then I'm going to like slack off in everything else I'm doing with my sleep, with my nutrition, with my schoolwork, yeah. with my relationships in my life, like all that kind of stuff. You know, it's much easier just to say, you know, I have a standard of excellence and I'm applying that to everything I do. And, um, something, especially with younger athletes that I see a lot is not a lot of attention paid to, to their sleep and nutrition. Um, you know, staying up super late, getting up early for school or whatever, and then, you know, eating like crap. Um, and I think those are, I think those are two of the easiest, like lowest hanging fruits you can do for performances is getting enough sleep and, um, eating well and basically giving your body the tools to, to recover well, to perform well. Um, I think, and I think I didn't even, I, I, and this isn't me saying like I was, I'm perfect. You know, I, I, I slept horribly. I didn't eat well, um, in high school as well as in college, you know, and, you know, I think figuring that out that, you know, my body needs recovery time. My body needs, you know, the correct building blocks to build back muscle, to build back, you know, everything, you know, I think those were kind of huge steps for me in, in, um, unlocking additional performance. Yeah, no, that's a good point there, Josh. And especially too, like just, you know, learning time management. That was kind of one of my biggest thing in college. No doubt. And, and no doubt. definitely even in, in pro ball, it's, it's just, I mean, it's a grind and just still being able to, you know, keep your body in the best shape it can, which can be easier said than done when you're making <laughs> not much money, but. <laughs> <laughs> but even, so even, yeah, time management in the sense of like priorities as well, you know, yeah. If if you if you if you decide, you know, you objectively look at what you do and you say, um, you know, I need to sleep better, but then you stay up playing video games to two a.m. Yeah. Um, because you you want to play video games. Well, okay, then you're not. You're like sure, video games are fun, but you're not showing that your career is a priority at that point, or even like your your um, your sport is a priority at that point yeah. because you're prior you're you know you're prioritizing other things above things that would you know make you better. Um, I think I see that a lot as well. And then I guess, Josh, could you talk to us a little bit about, you know, you went and played Div 3. And I know a lot of guys end up kind of have it in their head that you have to play Div 1. But just kind of maybe touch base a little bit kind of on on that mindset where you don't have to, you know, as long as you're playing college baseball and getting good hitters out, there's, sure. there's an opportunity for you, right? Oh, no doubt. And I've, I, I wasn't, the reason I played Division 3 isn't, for any other reason than I just simply wasn't good enough to play division one or two out of, out of college or I'm sorry, out of high school. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad I did. And uh, uh, a couple of reasons why, you know, first it's, it's, it's easier to get playing time at schools that aren't, you know, division one, division two. Um, and I think there's something to be said about development happening in game. So, you know, getting, especially as a relief pitcher like myself, so getting used to like big pressure situations, getting into these games and being able to pitch and just like figure stuff out on the mound rather than, you know, sitting, going to a division one school as a preferred walk on sitting behind a guy for three years. And then my senior year rolls around and it's my time finally, but I don't have any in-game experience. And I'm just like, and it's not, I'm not figuring it out. Um, so I think the ability to just play earlier on at a division three school um, was, was very beneficial. Um, also, you know, I went to, I went to Johns Hopkins, which is a really good academic school. 
Um, and that's, there's, there's, I think a lot of opportunity for that, um, as well, you know, getting, getting a good education, um, in division three, which has dividends beyond just, you know, education and career, you know, it, it'll help you, it'll help you with baseball as well. Um, at least in my experience, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm glad I went to a school where, you know, hard work, intelligence, and not necessarily intelligence, but the desire to learn, the desire to get better was, was valued. Um, and I think that was, that was huge as well. Um, and then, yeah, so, but that's the other thing too, you know, I, I played division three baseball, but it's not like I, I played division three baseball and like turned into a stud and got drafted. You know, I was undrafted. I was an undrafted free agent. I, um, I played one year of summer ball. I played in the Cal Ripken league one summer and I didn't play, you know, I didn't play in the Cape. I didn't play in the coastal plain. I didn't play in Alaska or, you know, the Northwoods or anything like that. And, you know, I played independent ball. I played indie ball for, for a little bit before I got signed by the Mets. And, you know, we live in a time now where it's so easy to get yourself out there and, and, and get yourself in front of scouts, in front of um, coaches and stuff like that with video, with technology, you can, you can basically share this stuff with anybody. So if, if you're, if you're in a good position where, you know, you're at a division three school or you're at an NAIA school or, um, you know, JUCO or something like that, and you, you think you, you're being overlooked, like it, you don't have, but it's, it's so easy to, to send your information out and get that information in front of scouts. You know, you don't have yep. to um, play the division one school to get drafted or to play professionally. Um, so I think that's another aspect where people are like, Oh, well, I'm never going to be able to play at the next level if I don't play division one. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, like I said, I played division three and I still wasn't drafted and I'm still playing professional baseball. Absolutely. Um, so there's something to be said about, you know, we live in a time, like I said, where this is all possible to get your, your information in front of people. And, um, you know, I, I would just pick the best situation. That's like the best holistic situation in terms of education, location, baseball, you know, et cetera, um, for, for young athletes. And then the rest will come if it, if it, if it will. And then Josh, you wrote a good article for uh, ball nine there. Is that something you're looking at doing kind of post-playing or? Oh yeah. So yeah. So that I wrote an article on, um, workload management, kind of how I use, use, you know, stress in my yeah. training. Um, and by stress in my training, I just basically mean, you know, why, th- why throwing a lot is okay. Um, why throwing a lot isn't bad for your arm. There is no such thing as, you know, you only have so many bullets in your arm and, um, you can basically train your arm to get stronger and healthier over time. And writing is fun. I, I really enjoy writing. Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily something I'd want to do after my career. If anything, I'd want to kind of, um, instead of the writing aspect, I'd, I'd rather take the, the concepts I was explaining and, um, you know, apply them in some sort of like coaching or analytics or, um, development role, something like that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And is that some too, like even kind of in your article, like, I mean, definitely, you know, I'm a little more old school with like Nolan Ryan, you know, throwing a complete game, 180 pitches. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm still like kind of probably old school trying to adapt to the new school. Um, you know, is that something where you're looking at the old school and can see some of the benefits from that or? Well, yeah. So I think, I think, um, so Kyle, Kyle Bodie from driveline has talked about this before yep. where a lot of, a lot of, I, I don't really like the old school, new school, um, kind of like differentiation there. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of old, like, a lot of old school quote unquote coaches and people who have been around the game, you know, have a lot of awesome wisdom and like understanding of the game. And what Kyle Bodie said is that, you know, a lot of research and stuff has actually shown that a lot of their wisdom was correct. Like there is, it can be quantified. It can be um, like, yeah, there's new ways of, of, of doing it. And there's new ways of, you know, programming it and putting it into a process. But a lot of that wisdom was correct. And I think one of the things I mentioned in that article is, you know, someone like Tom house, who's been around since, you know, Noel, who, who worked with Nolan Ryan and was a huge part of Nolan Ryan's um, career from what I understand. And, you know, he, he was using weighted balls back in the you know seventies and eighties. And it wasn't uh, as maybe uh, a structured, maybe it wasn't as structured of a program as we have now necessarily, no. you know, throwing softballs, throwing footballs. Yes. You no know, kids, kids do this. Kids throw wiffle balls. They throw softballs, they throw footballs and they're not hurting their arms, you know, and, and the thing that Tom house mentioned is, you know, back in that day, 
guys realized that the more they threw, the better they felt. They, you know, they would long toss, they would throw, you know, a lot of times during the week and their arms felt stronger and healthier. And now we can quantify why that is. And that's because, you know, we're building higher chronic workloads on our arm, which allow us to handle higher acute and like short-term workloads on our arm um, without getting hurt. So we know exactly why that's happening now. And we know kind of how to turn it into a process and how to structure a program to develop that. But a lot of those insights from, from a long time ago, like turned out to be true. It's not like new schools coming in and saying, oh yeah, everything that anybody ever thought is wrong. It's just, we have a different, it's just, there's a different way of, there's new terms for it. Like launch angle, for example, Ted Williams was talking about this. Like he wrote a book about, I think it's called the art of hitting or something like that. He was talking about how to, how to put the bat on a correct plane so that it's, it has the best chance of, um, you know, striking the ball. You know, that's something Ted Williams was talking about. And yet now we have ways of measuring it. And now we have ways of, teaching it to guys and we have a new term for it, the launch angle, but the idea has been around and the wisdom has been around for a long time. Um, so I think that's really cool is being able to say like, yeah, just because you've been around the game 80 years doesn't mean you don't know what you're like. You don't, you clearly know what you're talking about. You clearly have ideas of what's going on and now we can just quantify it and um, explain exactly why that's happening. And that's probably too where video helps, right? Like um, even just with launch angle, you can kind of probably see it a little bit better than maybe when Ted Williams was explaining it exactly, in a yeah. book. Right. There's, there's, and we have, you know, rap sodos for, for pitching and hitting where you can see exactly, okay, how did the ball come off the bat? How hard did it come off the bat? Um, just technology has helped us in that regard and actually measuring these things. And I guess, Josh, is there anything from a bullpen standpoint that, uh, you know, kind of that mindset of just kind of anything that's helped you when you're hanging out in the bullpen, kind of not sure when you're going to be coming in the game or anything kind of from the bullpen standpoint? Yeah, that's a tricky one because, you know, bullpen pitchers, relievers don't really have the set schedule that starters have. And by yeah. not really, I mean, they don't at all. And, you know, could be, could be pitching two, three straight days in a row and then have four days off and then three more days in a row. Um, you don't know if you're coming in the seventh inning, the eighth inning, the ninth inning, some guys do obviously, but you know, I think, I think something that could be extremely beneficial for a lot of athletes to help in this, um, even non-relievers, but it's just developing a routine. Um, so figuring out, okay, before the game, what do I do? You know, is it, so is it game day? Is it practice day? Is it um, day before a game day? Like, what do I do on those days? And then I'm going to accomplish that. I'm going to do that. And then um, basically, okay, let's say it's a game day and I'm a reliever and I have a certain throwing program I do before the game. And then I know I'm going to pitch in either the seventh or the eighth inning. So maybe in the third or fourth inning, I'll go down to the bullpen and my routine will be that I like stretch again. And then, you know, in the fifth inning, I'll um, do bands again or something like that basically just developing something that will help you get into um, a phys- in the, in the, with physical preparation for the game and then also kind of mental preparation. Because what a routine does is it kind of um, signals to your brain that it's time to, to change modes almost, right? If you're sitting relaxed in the dugout for the first four innings, but once your routine starts and you go down to the, the bullpen in the fourth inning, you know, your brain is like, okay, it's time to get focused. It's time to get ready. Um, so I think that something that can help mentally and physically is just developing a routine, understanding what you need to do, when you need to do it, and um, just figuring out something that works for you. I think that's something I wish I would have known significantly earlier in my career. Yeah, and something too I had to learn was just kind of not wasting my bullets in the pen. Yeah, I think some guys some guys get too fired up and they're like, oh, well, you know, this fastball wasn't perfect. I haven't, <laughs> I didn't hit my spot and then throw seven more. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's okay to throw a lot, but it's not necessarily going to help you to um, to put such a high workload on your arm before getting into a game. You know. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost forget like at times that you still get those eight pitches on the actual game mound, and I, that's something I struggle with in the bullpen. I almost felt like I had to get ready, hundred percent, and then oh yeah, I've got eight more pitches out there. Well, let me ask you a question, Jeff. Did you ever have times where you would throw really well in the bullpen and then like not, not do great in the game or not have that same feel or even the opposite where you would you know, yes. not feel great in the bullpen. And then you get out on the, the, the mound and feel, you know, feel amazing. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the days where actually my slider was working too good in the, in the bullpen, I'd almost just stop throwing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I want that for the game, but. 
Well, yeah. So that's, I think that's, I think that's interesting because, you know, I think what, you, what you were saying is, you know, people feel like they have to be too perfect or they, you know, overdo it in the bullpen. Um, but from anecdotal experience, and I don't know exactly why it happens, but a lot of the times where I feel worse in the bullpen, that's kind of where I go in the game and like do my best. Yeah. Yeah. I was the same there, Josh. Yeah. Probably made me focus in more once I got those eight warm-up pitches and sure. Um, yeah. When I, when I almost felt too good, I think in the bullpen, then I'd hop on the, on the game mount and almost be like, Oh yeah, I feel great. And then <laughs> kind of just, yeah, take it. Hitters like, let me know that I didn't feel bit. good that yeah. day. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess, Josh, kind of what would be your favorite part about pitching from your lower arm slot? <laughs> um, I just love how uncomfortable it makes hitters. Yeah. You know, that's, it's so fun. Just, you know, hearing the feedback of like, man, I hate facing you or like, <laughs> God, your pitchers, your pitchers were moving so much today. Like, and I think it obviously presents its unique challenges. And I think that's why it's, it's also something I enjoy a lot is because it is, um, it is something that I have to, you know, throughout my career, I've kind of had to figure it out on my own. Like there's, there's no, there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of sidearm pitching experts and they all probably are in, affiliated with sidearm nation in some regard. Um, but like there's, you know, there's not a sidearm pitching coach at, at, at high schools or colleges, you know, it's kind of, um, oh, and obviously a lot of, a lot of things transfer over a lot of the, a lot of the concepts are the same. Yes. Um, but there, but there's definitely some aspects to it that are, you know, very individualized and you kind of just have to figure it out on your own. And I, I kind of love that challenge of, of, you know, trying to perfect something and, you know, just trying to constantly get better. I, I, I love that. Um, and I think sidearm pitching presents some unique challenges in that regard. Have you had many teammates, Josh, that were sidearm submarine pitchers? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, let me think. So the year before me in college, um, there's a, a, someone who was uh, overhand pitcher his entire career. Uh, so my freshman year, he was an overhand pitcher. And then my sophomore year, he dropped down. And I think he posted the best ERA in college, my, my college's history. Uh, so he, he like, he was just money. Like he was just fastball slider and just like, no one could hit him. Um, and then, so that was my sophomore year. He was a senior at that point. So we had two submariners on the staff, which was really cool. And then my junior year, um, one of my friends who was a freshman at that time was an uh, overhand pitcher. Um, he unfortunately didn't make the team freshman year. And then I was talking to him and I, I noticed that his arm slot was already a little bit lower. Um, he kind of seen, and he was a shortstop also. He had previously been a shortstop. So he kind of had the feel for the lower arm slot. Um, so I actually talked him into um, throwing sidearm uh, and submarine going forward. And him and I actually went to the the Hattiesburg camp together um, yes. with, with Chad Bradford. Yep. Um, so his, yeah, his, his name's AJ. Um, so him and I, you know, worked together for a long time. And, um, so he's, yeah, he's, he's currently at, at Hopkins and he's still, um, he's still doing the sidearm pitching. And so it's, it, I talked to him a lot just about, you know, different pitching things, different mental things. Cause he, he, you know, he gets it, he understands as well. Um, and then there's actually two other kids at Hopkins who converted the sidearm pitchers, um, while I was there as well. So I've, I've worked with a few different guys, um, at, at Hopkins who dropped down. Um, in professional ball, I haven't seen any other ones. I haven't met any other ones. Um, I know the Mets used to have Stephen Valines, um, who, but they traded him to the Rangers, I believe. Yes. Um, and now they have Trevor Hildenberger, who's who's with the big league club. Um, but I haven't met either of though either of them. Um, I would I really want to talk to Hildenberger about his changeup because his changeup is really good. Um, <laughs> but I haven't had the chance to, to do that yet. Um, but yeah, there's, it's, it's cool because I think teams are realizing how important it is. And like I said, the thing about outliers, how, how important it is to, you know, have people who are outliers. And even if you look at, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays, one of the, one of the most analytically driven teams in all of sports, they had last year, they had Ryan Thompson and Aaron Loop, you know, two sidearm guys. And basically if you've, if you saw that viral picture on Twitter, Oh, um, just with like every arm slot. Yes. Yes. They had an arm slot at basically every position across the board. <laughs> um, and if, you know, you compare a lefty sidearm guy with a righty overhand guy, that lefty sidearm guy is going to, his stuff's going to look even better because hitters are used to facing such a drastically different arm slot. Um, so I think teams are really realizing the the value in having a guy who can, who can come down from that slot and, you know, give hitters a different look. Um, so, which is, which is really cool. So I'm hoping I, I, I see some more, 
more sidearm guys in pro ball going forward. And then I guess, Josh, it's just time for our ninth inning call of the bullpen. So it's just going to be some questions All just right. to learn a little bit more about you. Sounds good. I'm a little nervous. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> Rapid uh, fire here. Favorite NHL team? Uh, Detroit Red Wings, but I'm not a big hockey guy. You know, it, it, it's probably bad that I'm not a big hockey guy growing up with the Red Wings and their, their massive playoff streak. But yeah, definitely the Red Wings, though. Favorite travel destination? Ooh, um, I think I have to say Port St. Lucie because it means I get to, to play baseball in Florida. So I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Favorite baseball movie? Um, you know, Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams gets me. Yep. You know, maybe maybe Major League if I'm looking for a laugh, but, you know, feel, I, I'm a big Field of Dreams guy. All-time favorite professional wrestler? Um, okay. You might get mad at me here, but you know, I'm not really, uh, not really a wrestling fan. Um, I don't know if I have a good answer for this. That's okay. Is that, is this, is that you, loud? Am I kicked off the podcast? No, that's allowed. That's allowed. I know it's kind of, <laughs> it's changed too. Like I know my, my generation, it was definitely a little more flamboyant and different characters. Whereas now I, yeah, it's sure. kind of, it's, it's changed. <laughs> No, I, I have some friends who are into it. And like, I know some of the names, like I can give you just a name if you want, but like, That's up to- <laughs> it doesn't really mean much <laughs> like John Cena. Okay. John Cena. I know a wrestler. That'll there work. <laughs> and then Josh, do you know the capital of Canada? Uh, Ottawa. Yes. Perfect. There we go. We're geography it, guy over here. It's, uh, yeah. It's kind of hit or miss that question, but a lot of Toronto's, <laughs> a lot of Toronto's. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. I'm from Detroit, so I'm I'm fairly close to. You're um, close. Well, very close to Windsor, yeah. um, and then you know fairly close to Toronto, and then a little further from from the rest. But and then Josh, <laughs> if you could have golf or dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would you like to go with? Hmm. Okay, that's a tough question. Um, I think okay. So I think my first two choices would be Kobe, and then Nolan Ryan. So just two, you know, amazing competitors, elite athletes at their sports and would be really, really awesome to have conversations with them. And then I think my third choice would be uh, my grandpa, who um, unfortunately passed away when I was younger. But, you know, I think it would be really awesome to you know see him again. And um, he was big fans of those athletes that I mentioned as well. And it would be really awesome to uh, to do something with all three of those. And I think between the choice of dinner and golf, I think I would choose golf. Um, you know, especially with the guys like Kobe and Nolan Ryan probably could get some really good, uh, some tips on how to, you know, be competitive and how to, (laughs) how to manage the mental game, especially in a sport like, uh, sport like golf, which is might be the most frustrating sport of all time. So (laughs) I think I would choose golf with those three guys. Any particular course, Josh? Mm, Nothing, nothing I have in mind. Um, you know, if, if we're going to do it, might as well, you know, Go go big or go home. So you know Augusta, Pebble Beach, something like that. And lastly, Josh, if you could be an Olympian in another sport, summer or winter, what sport would you like to do? Javelin, hundred percent. Javelin. Yep. Javelin. Yeah. So I th- I think there's a lot of carryover between javelin and pitching that people don't realize. Um, but so even but even outside of you know what I'd be most physically capable of doing, which is probably javelin. Um, I just think it's sick. Just throwing a spear, like hundred meters, you know, like that's sick. It's impressive. It is. Yeah. It's like, it's just like raw human. Like, like it's like what humans had to do and like, not necessarily throw it as far as they can, but you know, like hunting prey when they were, before we were, you know, um, before we were, we had civilization, you know, we had to just throw spears at woolly mammoths. So just, it's, it's pretty cool. Have you ever tried to throw one? I've tried it and I can't get it to fly straight. It just wobbles in the air. Cause I think I pronate too much because I'm a pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've actually watched a lot of javelin training videos and like, it's interesting what they do in terms of their workouts and stuff. Um, because a lot of the conventional wisdom around baseball is that, you know, pitchers should never lift upper body, stuff like that. But these javelin guys like crush upper body. Like they will do like heavy benching, heavy lat pullovers, heavy, like shoulder press. Um, and, you know, I think, I think baseball is kind of behind in some regards with some of their training methods. Um, 
And it's also baseball is a much more complicated sport. Um, you know, success in javelin is, you know, did I throw it further than I did last time? Or did I throw it further than this other guy? Um, obviously baseball's, you know, um, you're playing somebody else. So if you throw, if you throw a better pitch than you did the pitch before, you know, they still might hit it well, um, something like that. So there's a lot more variables at play. Um, but I, I just really, I, I think javelin is really interesting. Um, and I think it, partially because it is solely focused on one activity where you can kind of, you know, isolate that and just try to improve that as best as you can. Um, I think it's really cool seeing some of the, the training methods they come up with. Yeah. And I know my buddy and I were talking about it, like almost kind of with how guys are training with driveline. It is almost kind of like they're training for a longest throwing competition. I think that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. I'm surprised there isn't something similar to that. You know, there is long drive for golf. I'm surprised there isn't some sort of, you know, hit the ball the furthest, throw the ball the furthest, something like that with baseball. <laughs> you know, and then lastly, Josh, we appreciate you coming on. Um, any shout outs before we sign off? Yeah. So, I mean, I can give it a million of these, but shout out to, shout out to, you know, my high school coach, Tony DeMar for helping me, um, for convincing me to throw sidearm, my college coach, Bob Babb for recruiting me and, um, letting me pitch as a sidearm guy. Um, and then, you know, my, 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 um, my parents obviously for everything they've done for me. And then my buddy, my buddy, AJ, who, like I mentioned before, he's the other sidearm guy from college and he just talks baseball with me every day. Um, so yeah, he's the man. So I'd say those off the top of my head. That's who I got. She said, do you come from a land down under where women glow and man thunder? Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? Yeah. You better run, you better take cover. Yeah. You better run, you better take cover.